be seated. What a great hymn that reminds us of the great glory and the creative power of God. In fact, if you trace the lyrics of that great hymn, and we're going to be singing it some more in the days ahead, you will see that it is outlining not only the great power of God's creative strength, but also his power to redeem, his power to judge our sin. I don't know of um, a more difficult time in recent memory than the world is experiencing now. We have seen and experienced some tremendous difficulties, not only here in the country, but around the globe. If you don't have a sermon outline, I'm going to ask you if you would to lift your hand, and these fine men will give you one and uh, help you be able to follow along with us this morning. There are some key words that we hear as trouble in our world. There are some key words that have to do with leadership, leaders of many different venues in many different areas. There's the problem very often of pride. There's the problem very often of greed. There's the problem very often of strife. There are those who seek to lead and to be very selfish in their leadership, and I'm saying across party lines. I'm not particularly speaking of any one individual. And as we look at it in America, um, we see it also around the world. We see countries that are being brought to their knees because of corrupt leadership. We see whole societies that are crushed. We see millions of people that get one or two meals a day because of corrupt leaders. We see not only leaders who are corrupt, but we also see individuals in a society who do not have a love and a compassion and a fairness toward those that are around them, but societies that run in selfishness, also in greed and also in corruption. We see and hear the words about justice. We hear the cry of justice from many, many different corners of not only our society, but other societies. And we're even sometimes confused about what that word truly means. We hear the words oppression, and when we look at places like Venezuela, we look at places like North Korea, we see a massive oppression. We see China, we see other whole societies where there is a massive oppression over millions, even hundreds of millions of people. And we see there's oppression within the ranks of the economic statuses between the rich and the poor. And when we compare the way God designed society to work, the way God in, has, has constructed our hearts to be without sin, we see the problem. If we could just imagine a world where there is no sin, and everyone does what they're supposed to do, then we would start to see the way that we're living now in such confusion 
in such disparity. God has called us to live as He has designed us to live, according to the righteousness of our God. And when we do not do that, and when God's people do not do that, especially when God's people do not do that, there is a divine justice that is brought about to bring them to obedience. Now, those who are pagans that have no regard for God and do not listen to God, God does judge them, but the main messages of the Bible are not the judgments of pagans. The main messages of the Bible are God's judgment on His own people. This is a key understanding for us to realize in the Scripture, that within God's people we see those who actually are truly His people, who know Him and love Him and obey Him, and we see those who are not, but they are nevertheless named in the nation of God. We are about to study the book of Micah, and as we come to this tiny little prophet in your Old Testament, and I'm going to ask you if you would turn to the table of contents in your Bible and find the page number for Micah, and then go find, otherwise you're going to miss half the sermon as you look around for just a few little chapters there in the middle of your, or toward the back of your Old Testament. This morning we want to look and see this incredibly powerful, and listen to this, incredibly relevant message from this little prophet. We hear the cries for justice. We hear the cries for mercy. And we hear a lack of hope in the world today. When I first moved to North Africa, a Muslim country in North Africa, I remember being at a hotel restaurant. And there was great oppression in this country. And uh, economically, it was very, very hard um, about 30% unemployment, and no housing had been built in the country for about 30 years, and yet the population had grown exponentially. So you can just imagine how cramped the people felt and how frustrated the people were, in, in part due to the government not allowing the economy to be free and to be open and for things to be able to be able to grow. The people were greatly oppressed. And I remember having breakfast one night or one morning at the top of a, of a little hotel there overlooking one of the cities. And a, a gentleman was serving me. He was 23 years old. And um, I remember him coming and uh, there was hardly anybody else in the very dysfunctional um, society having breakfast in that place. And so I just said, come and sit down. And he was like, I'm not allowed to do that. And I'm like, no, you can come and sit down. I want to talk to you. And so he came and he sat with me. And as we talked, he said, I, I said, so what is it like living here? You're a young man. You've already been to university. What, what, what's happening now? And he said, I have no hope. There's nothing. I have a university degree and all I can do is serve a foreigner coffee. I have no hope. 
And he said, look out over the city. This is a whole city filled with young people with no hope. Friends, we live in a world where justice is cried for, mercy is cried for, and hope is cried for. And so this little letter written 2,700 years ago applies to us in powerful ways. You see, the prophet Micah, whose name means, fill this in, who is like Yahweh? Who is like God? It's a rhetorical question. And what is the answer to this? No one. Who is like God? So his very name is this. Who is like Yahweh? There is no one like him. In fact, look at, notice the next verse, and this is on the screen, you'll, and you'll want to have um, your Bible open as well as be looking at the screen. At the end of Micah, we see Micah use his own name the meaning of his name, in the message of his prophecy, in the message of his preaching. Look at verse 18 on the screen. It says, who is a God like you? And then look what he goes on to say, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. But it begins with the phrase of Micah, who is like God. You see, this prophet, he was a, fill it in, he was a small-time preacher from a little town in the country. It's interesting that there's so little known about Micah. There's 14 different Micahs mentioned in the Bible, and there's only two references of this Micah anywhere. So his, his letter is short, and his ministry is relatively obscure. We don't know very much about it, but what we do know about it is incredibly important. You're going to see that in just a moment. But this is a prophet who, it, if, you, if you look there at the very top um, of the boxed text that is there, it says in verse 1, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth. So it's not Micah, son of so-and-so, it's Micah, and then it's the name of a town. And I hate to say it, but the town is, is almost unknown. So when you look at that and you say, this is a small-time preacher from an unknown place. And yet, here we are, 2,700 years later, looking at what he said. I mean, this is like, this is Bob, preacher Bob from Sop Choppy, Florida. Anybody ever been to Sop Choppy? It's in the middle of nowhere. It's out there in the pine trees and a little Baptist church sitting out there or some little church sitting out there. And you wonder who's it. I mean, this isn't Charles Stanley. This isn't John MacArthur. This isn't the, the big name known preacher. This is a small time preacher from out in a town in the middle of nowhere. Look at the next part. He preached for about 25 years, around 700 years before Christ. And he preached at the same time of a big time prophet, a big time preacher who was who? 
Isaiah. So Isaiah was the preacher for the king's court. Isaiah was the preacher that everyone knew about. Isaiah was one of the ones that everyone would listen to. And Micah was one of the ones that nobody knew. There's a lesson in that. We'll see. Look at the third one there. He preached against the sins of filling in idolatry. You say, oh yeah, I remember Sunday school days and everything else, idolatry. You know, I remember, you know, you know we, we immediately can go back to just that word idolatry and think that that's what, some, that's what people used to do. Beware. That in this moment and in this day and time, the greatest thing keeping people from God is idolatry. We can have idols. Yours might not be made of carved wood. You may drive your idol. You may live in your idol. You may go spend nine to five at your idol. You may check your idol online every now and then, see how it's going. He preached against the sins of idolatry and he preached against injustice. Injustice in the society of Judea. He preached against the things that were against the heart of God. So the first one, worshiping false gods in their high places. He preached against pagan false gods amidst the people of God. I want you to notice on the screen chapter 1 and verse 7. Look what it says. All her carved images shall be beaten to pieces. All her wages shall be burned with fire. And all her idols I will lay waste. For from the fee of a prostitute she gathered them, and to the fee of a prostitute they shall return. Here is language that is showing that these people are worshiping other gods. They have paid to worship other gods, and God is going to judge them. He is going to make them pay for this. And the price is going to be very, very high. He preached against the oppression of the poor. We have images in our mind of the oppression of the poor. We, we think about political debates and we think about political legislation and, and many of those things. And, and some of those things are what we're talking about, but some of those things are not what we're talking about. There's other aspects of the oppression of the poor that, that come not only just through American society, but through the societies of the world. And we begin to see that God cares about the poor. He cares a lot about the poor because it's his design that in his economy of life and under his righteousness that that there would be a love for one another that wouldn't be communism, but that would be true love and sacrifice.
for one another. Look at this next passage that we will study in the next couple of weeks. In Micah chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Woe to those who devise wickedness and work evil on their beds. Now, here's what he means by that. When the morning dawns, they perform it. So they're sitting there, and they're, they're going to sleep, and they're thinking about what all they're going to do, and they, they wake up with their plan not in generosity and not in care for others, but in their own ideas. So look at the middle of verse 1. When the morning dawns, they perform it because it is in the power of their hand. They covet fields and seize them and houses and they take them away. They oppress a man in his house and a man in his inheritance. These are evil before God. Micah also preached against the abuse of position, the abuse of position, that those who have a position that they're supposed to be performing, and they use that position for their own self-aggrandizement. Look with me at at Micah chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. Look what he says, and I said, here you, what does it say? Heads of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel. Is it not for you to know justice? He's saying, aren't you supposed to know what's right and wrong? You're the leader. You're the ruler. You see, these are about corrupt rulers. Verse 2. You who hate the good and love the evil, who tear the skin from off my people and their flesh from off their bones, who eat the flesh of my people. So these are, these are rulers that are living off the people that they are supposed to be caring for. And in the most graphic of terms, he is describing the oppression. And you fillet their skin from off of them and break their bones in pieces and chop them up like meat in a pot, like flesh in a cauldron. You know, the scripture is R-rated a lot. Because the reality of sin is real and it's harsh and it's and, and it's and it's it's devastating. And we get lulled into thinking it's no big deal. We get lulled into thinking our little sins or the sins of our society are going to go unchecked or it's not that big a deal. And here the Lord is saying, oh no, this is what you're really doing. This is how wrong what you're doing when you oppress the poor and when you take advantage of your position. You see, Micah, there's a reason he was probably not very well known and not very popular. No one wanted to hear what he was saying. In our society today, sometimes when the passages of judgment come, we we prefer to go to the more encouraging verses instead of looking at the reality of how God views our sin. How about this next one? (laughs) They were actually robbing the needy. Robbing those who actually need. And 
Micah chapter 6, verses 9 and 11. Notice this. The voice of the Lord cries to the city and is sound wisdom to fear your name. And here's what he says. Hear of the rod of him who appointed it. Verse 10. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales? What does that mean, wicked scales? What's wicked scales? So somebody would come in to pay for something with coins or something, and and they would say, well, how much is this worth? And, And they would weigh it. That's how they would know, and it would have a certain weight that is there. And some would, even back then, they could alter the scales. They could make one side of the scale heavier, or they could make the counterweight that which was not a true measure. And so they're cheating the people. And in this case, cheating the poor. Verse 11, shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and with a bag of deceitful weights? So they're the weights with the right marking, but they've been altered to rip people off. You say, well, we don't measure like that anymore. We can't really do that anymore. There must be. Oh, no, we'll, we'll talk in the days of he- ahead about how in our society today that there is the problem of the oppression of the poor. We will talk about the fact that there is the oppression and the robbing of the needy. And there is the adultery against God toward other gods, that we worship other gods being unfaithful to our God. What about this last one? There's the exploitation of the innocent. The exploitation of the innocent. And where that says number one, you need to put chapter one, you need to put two. That's a, that's a misprint. Look at chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. I want you to see this. This is the exploitation of the innocent. But lately my people have risen up as an enemy. You strip the rich robe from those who pass by trustingly with no thought of war. So there's there's people that come by and and you, you rob them. And they're innocent. They're not even coming to have war against you. They're not coming to create a problem for you. But you're treacherous enough that you take from them. Look at verse 9. The women of my people you drive out from their delightful houses. From their young children you take away my splendor forever. So we're, we're, we're starting to look at some great injustices. And before we start to think, well, that's why we have the U.S. Constitution, and that's why we have the local Hollywood police, and that's why we have the local judges. And I would say, you're exactly right. We do have those things here to to present some type of rule so that we can live in some type of justice. But friends, it it is more than simply going and stealing someone's home or taking their robe. And we're going to see how The world in which we live today, and sometimes God's people, need the message of Micah. 
Notice this. Those are the things that he preached against. Circle that on that third bullet point. Circle the word against. I put it in all capitals. But now here's what he preached for. Circle the word for. I want you to notice that, the difference. So he preached against some things, and he preached for some things. And the things that he preached for were repentance, turning back to God, and righteousness, turning back to the things that are right. And so when Micah was preaching, he was calling them to come back to the one who knows all things and the one who judges all things and the one who has determined that which is true and right. In fact, notice Micah 6, 8, possibly one of the most popular verses of this little prophecy. Notice what it says. He has told you, O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice. And to love kindness, that's mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Now, I remember as a kid growing up and often hearing that verse, he has told you, oh man, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? It's so great. The problem is, the reason he's quoting this here and the reason he's saying this is because the people were not doing it. They did not love justice. They did not love kindness. And they did not walk humbly with God. And so there was a problem. Notice the next part here. God used Micah, amazingly, God used Micah to bring King Hezekiah to repentance. How do we know that? We can go look at Jeremiah 26. This is one of those places where where Micah is mentioned. And so, during his preaching, God takes the guy from way out in the middle of nowhere, and his message makes it to the king. And we sing, we see King Hezekiah, and all that would happen in his life after Hezekiah turns back to God, and how God blesses the nation through Hezekiah's repentance. Look at the next one. God used Micah's message to save the life of Jeremiah. We see that in Matthew or in Jeremiah 26:18. And that was a hundred years later. So Micah's already dead and gone, but his message was known. It's part of the reason it was in poetry. We don't realize this when it's in English translated from Hebrew, and we, 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 we don't see the way the poem works. We don't see all of the nuances from the Hebrew language, and that's, that's difficult for us. It's sad for us, but we can still learn a great deal from it. But that's, that message would have continued all the way through, even to this day. But Jeremiah, a prophet of the Lord, was about to be put to death. They were coming to kill God's prophet. And one of the elders remembered Micah's words. And he stopped them from killing God's prophet. So a king was turned back. A prophet was saved. And generation after generation after generation of God's people have been warned and reminded of God's goodness. Notice the next part here. God uses Micah's message to proclaim the coming Messiah and his eternal reign. Now, this is also one of the most popular passages in the book of Micah. 
This is at Christmas time. We talk about the prophecies of the fact that Jesus would be born and that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. Where are those prophecies? Well, here is one of them where Micah is describing the grand plan of God of bringing true justice to the world and bringing true grace, mercy, and hope to the world, bringing true peace to the world. Micah had it. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, he would preach. And look what it says in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. He says, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphra, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah. So it's a very small town. It's a very small tribe that is there. For you, for, excuse me, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be the ruler in Israel. So this is the picture of Jesus is going to come through them. And then look at the next. Whose coming forth is of old from, we just sang about it, what? From ancient of days. You see, that's why we sing the ancient of days. why we refer to Jesus. He is before time would begin. So this, this ancient of days, this Messiah who is going to come, verse 3, therefore she, he shall give them up until the time when she who is in labor has given birth. Then the rest of his shoulders shall return to the people, the rest of his brothers shall return to the people of Israel. And he shall stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they shall dwell secure, for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Verse 5, and he shall be their, what? Peace. You see, this is all the picture of how God is ultimately going to fix the problem permanently. Micah is a book not only of judgment of God, but also it is a book about the restoration of God in our lives. The Messiah is coming. He's going to reign eternally. He's going to fix the problem. Look at the last part here. God uses Micah's message to give people hope of pardon and restoration. Circle the word hope. God is bringing hope of pardon and restoration. And we're going to read through this, and you're going to start to see some of these themes. You're going to see themes of, don't turn the sheet over, we're about to read what is here, and you're going to make some notes out there to the side as we go. I've left some open space there. But notice this, in verse 1 it says, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morsheth in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So those are the kings, kings of Judah, which he saw during Samaria, concerning Samaria and Jerusalem. So this is where he was. And here's the prophecy, verse 2. Hear you peoples, all of you, pay attention, O earth, and all that is in it. Let the Lord God be a witness against you. The Lord from his holy temples. You see, we, just, we talked about in starting point just earlier this morning, the fact that God is a holy God. The world's confused about who God is. What Micah is reminding us is that God is holy. 
He's not a low God. He's a high God. He's not a a God that struggles with sin. He's not a God that has injustice. He is a God of perfect justice. And Micah declares that this is who he is. And if you want to come to know God, you've got to know who he is. Micah is making sure we remember that this is the high king of heaven who is holy. Look at verse 3. For behold, the Lord is coming out of his place, and he will come down, and he will tread upon the high places of the earth. Right out there, circle the words high places, and put out there to the side the places of worship. That's what high places were. High places were the places where people would, would set up temples. They would set up places of altar. They would set up altars. And they would very often worship pagan gods. And so when there's high places, it often is a picture of false worship. And God is going to come and tread on those places. Verse 4. And the, melt, and the mountains will melt under him, and the valleys will split open like wax before the fire. Think about that, like wax before the fire. Have you ever had a, had a fire going and, and have wax nearby or even a candle? What happens when, when the wax comes in contact with that? It begins melting. Like waters poured down a steep place. What does it do? It rushes down. That's that's what God is going to do. He's going to rush on this. Verse 5. And all this is for the transgression of Jacob and for the sins of the house of Israel. So this is these tribes, these people that are represented here. Jacob's already dead, but his descendants are there. Is it not Samaria? And what is the high place of Judah? Is it not Jerusalem? God is going to come with cataclysmic, destructive power and destroy them because of his righteousness and holiness. Flip the page. Look at verse 6. Therefore, I will make Samaria a heap in the open country. He's going to completely wipe it out. A place for planting vineyards. So this place where you see This city is going to be destroyed. This place where you see even ruins, it's going to become a vineyard. And I will pour down her stones into the valley and uncover her foundations. Verse 7, all her carved images shall be beaten to pieces and her wages shall be burned with fire and all her idols I will lay waste for the fee of the prostitute. She gathered them and to the fee of the prostitute they shall return. He is going to come with a vengeance against their idolatry. He's going to grind them up and spit them out. Verse 8. For this I will lament and wail. I will go stripped and naked. I will make lamentation like the jackals and mourning like the ostriches. So jackals can be out in the wilderness and they mourn, they, they wail. Um, when, they, when they do that, they, they, it sounds horrible. Ostriches also make a very strange sound of lamentation and mourning. Verse 9. For her wound is incurable, and it has come to Judah. It has reached the gate of my people, to Jerusalem. So we see that God's people have succumbed to the wickedness around them. Verse 10, tell it not to Gath, weep not at all, 
in Bethlehem, roll yourselves in the dust. He's saying, repent. He's saying, come and roll down. You come and in sackcloth and ashes, you repent. Pass on your way inheritance of Shaphar and nakedness and shame and inhabitants of Zanon. Do not come out the lamentation of Bethzeel. Shall take away from you its standing place. For, verse 12, for the inhabitants of Merah, waiting anxiously for good, because disaster has come down from the Lord to the gate of Jerusalem. He's going to come all the way in and bring it all the way home to the heart of the nation. Harness the steeds to the chariots, inhabitants of Lachish. It was the beginning of sin to the daughter of Zion. For in you were found the transgressions of Israel. We'll talk about that next week, exactly what he's describing there, because it plays into the rest. Verse 14, therefore you shall give parting gifts to Morsheth Gath, and houses of Akzeb shall be a deceitful thing to the kings of Israel. I will again bring a conqueror to you inhabitants of Marsha. The glory of Israel shall come to Adullam. You see, friends, he is going to completely wipe them low. He's going to lower them, and he's going to even do it using other nations. Verse 16, make yourselves bald and cut off your hair for the children for the children of your delight. Make yourselves as bald as the eagle, for they shall go from you into exile. And you say, wow, pastor, what in the world does all of that mean? Now, the first thing that I'll say is that there's tremendous significance in every word that is here. And much of it is clearly known. There are some aspects of this that theologians and studiers of the Bible would say, well, we're not sure exactly what that's referring to. We're we're not sure exactly how that is a judgment. We're not sure exactly what he's talking about is going to be laid low or who is going to do it. But most of it is quite clear, and you get the gist that God is calling for a complete and total unashamed repentance. And part of the idea of shave your head, part of the idea of tear your clothes is this, is that you don't care any longer what anyone thinks about your pride or your repentance. You are saying before God, he is all that matters. That you are being marked for one who is turning to God, and you don't care if it's embarrassing or anything else. You know, it's amazing that true repentance is usually characterized by someone who does not care what anyone thinks. True repentance is when we say, it doesn't matter if people think ill of me because they find out that I have done this. They just want to be free. They want to be honest and broken. Now, there's some key applications that I think can be really helpful to you as we make sense of this and as we go starting us off. Filled some of these in. Number one, our study is going to show us in the whole book, but especially this chapter one as well, there is nothing new under the sun. 
there is nothing new under the sun. The sins of humanity are basically the same from generation to generation. And let's start off with idolatry, idolatry, greed, and exploitation. These are grave sins. You know, there's a lot of people that would say, you know, I don't really think of greed as such a bad sin. Well, you just haven't read enough of the prophets. You haven't read enough of the way God really feels about greed and selfishness. You see, that's against the heart of God. That's very against the heart of God. God is generous. God is sacrificial. He's so sacrificial, he comes and he lays down his life so that we can be free. And so you see, this, the idea of greed is very ungodly. And we can deal with it in a multitude of ways. I know that from knowing my own heart. We can worship other things. We can have greed. We can exploit others. The exploitation of others is a grave offense to God. Especially the weak and the helpless. The innocent. So, what does all this teach me? Nothing new is under the sun. Sins of humanity are basically the same. And what that basically means to us is that God's word is amazingly timeless. Christians should not think, oh, that's Old Testament. You know, Jesus came and he fulfilled the law on our behalf. And so I don't really need to pay attention to the Old Testament. That is wrong thinking. We're going to look at some reasons why, but that is wrong thinking. What we, what we start to see is, is that all of God's Word informs us about who He is and who we are and the plan of His grace. There's a second application that I think is very encouraging here. Number two, never underestimate what God can do with anyone through the power of his word. Never underestimate that. Not what, never underestimate what God can do with others, ever how insignificant they may seem to you. And never underestimate what God can do with you if his word comes, if we wield his word, if we Hold on to his word. Look at verse 1 with me. I want you to flip the page back over and look what it says. You see, the power of Micah was not in his personality. It was not in his pedigree. It was not in the station in life that he had. No, all the power that Micah had to change millennia was, look at verse 1. It's right there at the top. Let's read it out loud together, the underlined part. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. That was very weak. Let's read it out loud. The word of the Lord that came to Micah. You see, the power is in God in his word. That's where the power is. It's not in your persuasiveness or not in my persuasion. It's not in cleverness. It's not in smoothness. It's not in having the perfect logical argument and the perfect response. The power is in God's Word. And when Micah simply preached the power of God's Word, things changed. 
So be encouraged that God can use anyone so long as they stay in the Word and so long as they proclaim the Word. Look at number three. Don't skip the judgment passages. I know we're tempted to skip the judgment passages. We're tempted to glaze over that. We're tempted to not pay any attention to that which we don't understand or that which we do not like. But when we judge, when we skip the judgment passages, we are really deceiving ourselves. We are really submitting ourselves to falsehoods about who God is and what he wants and what he's done and who we are. People who skip the judgment passages have a very low view of God. They don't have a high view of God. And that's a very dangerous thing to have. You need to have an extremely high view of God. That's one of the reasons that there's galaxies on the background of, this, of even this PowerPoint, is that we need to remember that God in His glory, God in His creative power, God in His infinite difference from us is worthy of our worship. He is worthy of our attention. He is worthy of our submission. And the judgment passages can help us come to grips with that. Now, we're going to look and we're going to see some of the sweetest morsels of His grace in these coming days. But you cannot truly appreciate His grace if you do not come to have some understanding of His wrath. And the judgment passages help us to see that. Do not skip the judgment passages. Passages You can be warned about sin. They will warn you about sin. Specific sins or sin in general. You can be informed about God. You come to learn why He's holy and how He thinks differently than us. When we hear a judgment on sin, we, what we start to go is, oh, that's wrong. God is saying, I am judging you because of this. And that's when we come to realize, oh, this is against the heart of God. If you never pay attention to the judgment passages, you will not know what offends God. You see, we need to be informed about His holiness. And the judgment passages will help you come to understand His holiness. You need to be informed about His wrath against sin. You see, this is, this is part of the warning. I mean, He's going to roll down on these places. He's going to tread on those high places. He's going to wipe them out. He's going to make what was a city and what was a whole country into a vineyard. But we can also be informed about His covenant of grace. In how he fulfills his covenant of grace. You see, it's through the judgment passages that you can come to seek his mercy. If you don't know that a certain judgment is coming, you don't know to run for help. The judgment passages not only help us seek his mercy, but look at this last one. It helps us to rejoice in his grace. 
And that's exactly what Micah does. He rejoices in the fact that there is coming a Messiah who's going to let who, who's going to come and he's going to make there to be peace forever. And forever he's going to solve the problem. And so we come, don't pack up. Oh my goodness, don't pack. Look, notice. You can rejoice in His grace. You see, when you read the book of Micah and you work through all of the judgments and you start to see, as we're going to see next week, as we start to see the cycles of His judgment and then His mercy and His judgment and His mercy and how He's bringing about the fulfillment. Listen, the fulfillment of His covenant of grace. We start to see better how He works and then our hearts stand amazed at his forgiveness and his pardon and his restoration. I must confess to you, I've spent a lot of time just chewing on these words from Micah and just kind of ingesting this And it's interesting how when those verses of mercy and grace and promise of delight come, it's like a flood of God's goodness washes over us. And we start to see the heart of God. Look at Romans chapter 5, verses 6 through 9. Would you please read the underlined portions with me? Look at verse 6. Look what it says. Let's read together. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Stop right there. Look at that. While we were still weak. You see, God, God's interested in the weak. He's interested in the poor. He's interested in the defenseless. While we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died. It doesn't say for the godly. It says for the ungodly. The ones who were greedy. The ones who were filled with injustice. The ones who were filled with idolatry. Christ died for the ungodly. In verse 7, for one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Verse 8, let's read it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's very much like verse 6. Verse 6 and verse 8 are a mirror reflection of one another. Look what it says. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Look at verse 9. Since, therefore, we have now been justified. See, that which was unjust is made just. That means made right before God. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And this is the gospel. That God rescues 
the unrighteous from themselves and from their sin. And he does so through his love and his grace. And Micah helps us understand what is true justice, what is true mercy, and what is true hope. Let's pray together. Would you please stand with me as we pray? Holy Father, we are so very often an unholy people. Lord, even those who have come to faith in Jesus Christ and been converted Lord, our actions betray our confession and our faith. Lord, very often we don't even recognize injustices. Or we believe that things are injustice that are not injustice at all. And we call some things that are not injustice, justice. Lord, we're confused. Lord, we need your word to help us get this all straightened out. Lord, we constantly need your word to correct our wrong thinking. And Lord, we are so very grateful that you do that through your mercy. Lord, if you had no mercy upon us, we would have no hope. But because you have mercy upon us, Lord, we have every hope. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who never get over the justice of God and that we would be a people who seek to live it out in everything we do. And not because we want to be saved, but because we are saved. Lord, I pray that we would be a people who live out your truth and that we would Lord, truly savor your mercy, that we would rejoice in it, and that, Lord, that we would find all of our hope there. Lord, I pray that you would bless the preaching of this book of the Bible in our church. I pray that as we go into greater depth on some of these things in the weeks ahead, that you would help us to rejoice in them. And, Lord, that we would learn much and that we would be sobered by sometimes even the graphic language, that we would allow your word to have its effect so that we might be the people you've called us to be. Lord, protect us from any attitudes of self-righteousness. May we be humble before you, seeing our need properly. Father, for those who've come into our midst and they've never given their lives to Christ, I pray that today that they would see that you're a God who forgives and that you're a God who loves, and that you're a God who will come and redeem, and that today that they would just come and surrender to you their sin and their hope, their total faith. Father, I pray for that, that lives would be forever changed as we see your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.